You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it out. And turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. It's good to see you this morning. I want to ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you think of the word great? What comes to your mind when you think of the word great? Maybe you think immediately of someone who is great. Think of who they call the great, the greatest Muhammad Ali, greatest boxer of all time. Maybe you think of... Uh, a golfer, maybe Arnold Palmer, maybe even Tiger Woods. Maybe you think of the great at baseball, Babe Ruth. Any baseball fans? Maybe you think of a basketball great. You've got Michael Jordan and you've got LeBron James. That's a, a hot debate, which one is the greatest, but we all know Jordan was the best. <laughs> maybe it's not someone who's great, maybe it's something who's great. The Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, the smell of fresh spud nuts. There are, are, are many great things that come to mind. Chances are, when you thought of the word great, yourself did not come to mind first. If you did, I know a good therapist that helps with narcissism. The truth is, we're not great. We fall short in life, and sometimes we feel rather ordinary, and that is okay, because God wants to do something great in us. And our series that we're going to be walking through is called Traits of the Greats. Traits of the Greats. Ten essentials for a life that makes a difference. Ten essentials for a life that makes a difference. And make no mistake about it, the greatest person who ever lived was Jesus. He's made more of a difference in people's lives than anyone. He is the eternal son of God. And and he turned greatness on his head. He said that the greatest among us would be a servant. See, the way that the world looks at greatness and the way that God looks at greatness are completely different. And I've been so blessed in my life to know some greats, some people who made a difference in my life. They were not without heartache. Their lives were not without trouble, not without sorrow. But they were faithful. The world may never know their name, but God used them in a great way. I had a 92-year-old seminary professor. His wife used to drive him. He actually founded the school I went to. His daughter drove him to school every morning. And he'd show up in in his little suit. And he actually taught Adrian Rogers and Jerry Vines. If you know who those two guys are, I'll buy your lunch this week. Uh, But he was 92 years old, and he told me, there are no great men. There are no great men, but there are men of a great God. There are no great men or women but there are men or women of a great God. And no disrespect to him for the sake of brevity, I'm just going to call them greats anyways, and you'll know what I mean. Uh, So I want you to know that we're going to look at these 10 traits. God wants to use your life. Don't think that you're too young or too old or you're too insignificant. God wants to use you in a great way, and he wants to develop these traits in your life. And to help you remember these 10 traits, we're going to look at the first one this morning. We have a little gift for you at the welcome desk. And this is a bag that you can keep 
There's a little symbol in there. Today's is the cross to remind you of the trait we're talking about. It'll get a little bit more creative as time goes on. I saw many of you already got these. Don't leave here today without getting one of these. It's our gift to you. And you could even take some notes on your worship guide, fold it up, and put it in there and be a great way for you to remember this series, Traits of the Greats. So the first trait today is the cross. What does identity look like? Identity is found in the cross, and greats know that their identity is found in Jesus Christ. If you want to be great, you have to know who you are. And who you are is not what you've done, or what you do, or what's been done to you, or what other people say about you. Your identity is in who God says you are. And through the cross, God gives you your identity. The cross symbolizes our identity. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I to the world. He said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our identity, who we are, is found in the cross of Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we humble ourselves and we look to you. We need to hear from you today. God, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts through your perfect and precious word. God, encourage us, minister to us. God, help us see in our lives how you want to do a great work in us and then through us. And so, God, I can't. You never said I could. But you can. You always said you would. Would you speak now? Would you increase and we decrease? For we ask it in Jesus' name. We ask it with a grateful heart. Amen. Well, they called him Pistol Pete for a reason. My favorite athlete of all time. He played for the LSU Tigers. Do we have any LSU fans in here today? I keep telling you no church is perfect. Despite playing for LSU, uh, Pistol Pete is my favorite of all time. He holds, still holds today, the record for all-time leading scorer in NCAA D1 basketball. I believe we have a photo of him that you can see. Pete was a great. He scored a total in his college career of 3,667 points. 3,667 points. If you don't know basketball, that's a lot of points. He averaged 44.2 points per game. 44 average a game. Did I mention this was before the three-point line? Did I mention it was before the shot clock? Oh, I, I almost forgot. He didn't get to play his freshman year because under NCAA rules at the time, you couldn't play varsity your freshman year. Pistol Pete was a great. They called him Pistol for a reason. He could shoot from way, way, way on back. He could throw the ball uh, behind the back. He could head fake. He could do all these dribbling. The ball would be one place, and then it would be another, and you wouldn't know how Pete did it. They called him Pistol Pete for a reason. And my brother and I, we watched this movie about Pistol's life, made by Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A. He funded it. We watched it over and over and over again, just knowing that if we watched it enough and practiced enough, we could become like Pete. But that's besides the point. We never did become like Pete. But after his college career, Pete went on to be a five-time NBA All-Star. Five-time. 
one of the youngest players to ever be inducted in the Hall of Fame, playing for the Hawks, the New Orleans Jazz, later the Utah Jazz. And this is what Pete said. At, at seven years old, his dad told him, Pete, if you listen to me and work hard, you can get a basketball scholarship. Maybe you'll even go to the pros one day and play on a championship team. You'll make a million dollars playing basketball. You see, his dad, Press, was his mentor, his hero, his best friend, and his coach at LSU. He said, you'll make a million dollars, and they'll give you a big diamond ring, and it'll have your name on it, and it'll say world champion. Well, Pete, at seven years old, told his dad, that's what I want. His dad replied, if you dedicate yourself to basketball, that's all you have to do. So Pete became what he described as a human basketball android. He just practiced and practiced and practiced. He said, I became an All-American basketball player while I'm playing for my dad at LSU. I received many trophies and awards and was on the cover of sports magazines. Listen to this. He said, I had a trophy that was six foot five inches tall, the same height as he was. It's been in the attic for 15 years collecting dust. I signed the largest contract for sports at that time for $1 million in the year 1970. I went to my dad and said, I hope you're proud of me. All I need now is the ring. When I get my ring, I'll be able to sit by my pool, wiggle my toes in the water, sit back with my drink, and live happily ever after. That's what I thought, but it didn't turn out that way. I'll finish the story a little bit later, but I want to introduce you to Pete, and we'll come back to him at the end of the message. I want to ask today life's three biggest questions, and I want you to see the answer in God's Word. And our identity, as Pete found, is not in what we can accomplish or do or what's been done to us, but one of the greatest questions in life that we all ask at one point or another is the question of identity. Who am I? Who am I? The shift that I want you to see to know your identity, you've got to move from ignorance to identity. You've got to move from ignorance to identity. And this is where we pick it up in Acts chapter 17. Paul was a man who, like Pete, had a lot of accomplishments. The apostle Paul, he had an amazing pedigree, came from a, a, an awesome family, very prestigious. He could speak, we believe, three different languages. He had an incredible education. He had it all going for him. He had a very high position in the Jewish religion. But he knew his identity in Christ. And when God changed his identity, when he shifted from ignorance to identity, God started to use Paul to make a difference. He used him to be great. And Paul found himself in the city of Athens. At the time, Athens was the center of all the world's philosophy and art and culture. It would be like New York City today, perhaps. And there were, were architecture, and there were people debating ideas, and, and amidst all this art and beautiful architecture and political and philosophical ideas, there were tons and tons of idols. They said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it was almost true. It was easier in Athens, they said, to meet a god than it was to meet a person. You could look around and find a God quicker than you could find a person. There were hundreds and hundreds of idols. There were temples to Greek gods and goddesses and, and shrines and idols everywhere. And Paul gathered in Acts 17, he was on top of a place called Mars Hill, the Areopagus. And at the Areopagus, Mars Hill, these philosophers in Athens would meet and they would debate ideas. So they were the wise guys. They sat up there and, and they wanted to debate what the good life was, or, or just the big questions of life. And as he's speaking to them, they were not Christian, but he was speaking to them the gospel, they could look down over Athens 
and see all these temples and all these idols. And this is what Paul said under the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, the Bible says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I know that you are very religious in every way. That went without saying you could see all their religion. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had an inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing, he's the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. See, the people in Athens were ignorant because they found their identity in the idols they worship. They found their identity in the idols they worship. Well, what is an idol? It's more than a shrine or maybe a little statue of Buddha. An, an idol is anything that you value more than God. Anything that you love more than God is an idol. Whether it's a physical idol or not, it can even be something in its proper perspective that's good. But an idol is anything that you put in your life above God. You want to know what your idol is? Look at your priorities. Look at what it'll take to keep you away from church. If it's easy, you might have an idol in your life. And they had these idols, and Paul said, I've looked at all your idols, and I've noticed there's one that's to an unknown God. See, they were so scared in Athens that they would offend a God that they had forgotten about. They had all these thousands of idols. And so they made one kind of a catch-all idol to the unknown God so that they would not offend this God and, and perhaps provoke his wrath. And so they would have all their bases covered. And Paul used that and he said, look right there. There's an unknown God. You're ignorant, but I'm going to shift from ignorance to identity. I'm going to tell you the one who made you and who he says you are. John Rockefeller was America's first billionaire and at the time the world's richest man. And they asked old Rockefeller one time, a reporter said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much would you say is enough? Mr. Rockefeller, how much would you say is enough? Rockefeller replied, a little bit more, a little bit more. So many times we find our identity in our stuff. We think if we have a little bit more, we'll be satisfied. And we equate the value of our life or who we are to the things that we have. But Jesus turned that on its head too because he said, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let me make it plain. Who you are has nothing to do with what you have. But who you are has nothing to do with what you do. Your job title or your your popularity, your own talents or abilities. Maybe your identity is so stuck in what somebody has done to you. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe somebody has told you you're good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. Your identity can't be found in what other people say about you or what you've done, what's been done to you. These past failures keep you stuck from knowing your real identity. And Paul said, here is the God who made the world and everything in you, in it. The one who made you is the only one who can tell you who you are. The one who made you is the only person who can tell you who you are. Who you are is not defined by what you have or what you do, what you've done, what's been done to you, what others say about you. It's defined by who God says you are. 
And the question of identity is found in Jesus. St. Augustine, he said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You made us for yourself, God. Our hearts will be restless until they find rest in you. If you find your identity in any of those other things, your possessions or your popularity or, or your past, those things will never satisfy you. You'll never have true rest or peace in your life. You'll be stuck in ignorance. But when you know Jesus, you shift from ignorance to identity. Ignorance to identity. It brings us a security that's out of this world. That no matter what happens to us in this life, our identity is secure in eternity. When the world says you're an accident, God says you're my child. When the world says you're worthless, God says I want to use you. I bought you with a price. When everybody abandons you, God says, I'm your friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you lose your job and your spouse walks out, all your friends leave you, your life just seems like one country song, God saved, says that you're saved and sealed and secure in his love, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's good news. When your identity is found in the cross, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted, you're healed, you're whole, you're free. And greatness begins when you shift from ignorance to identity. The second question in life that many people ask, and Paul addressed here, is not a question of identity, it's a question of purpose. Once you know your identity, then you can figure out why you're here. Why you're here. I spent almost a decade working with teenagers directly. Time and time again, I would see teenagers that were missing something. Sometimes it was identity, but often it was, what am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here? Is there something that is bigger than me that I can live for? I have a hunch that it's not just teenagers who are searching for answers. And to know your purpose, why am I here, you have to move from apathy to action. Apathy to action. A recent study in the United Kingdom found that 8 in 10 people believe their lives lack meaning and purpose. 8 in 10. I would suspect it's no different across the pond. 8 in 10. And the world gives us unsatisfying answers to meaning and purpose. In fact, it just leads to apathy and despair. The famous atheist Bertrand Russell said, We have no choice but to build our lives on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. No choice to build our lives, the firm foundation of unyielding despair. Theoretical physicist Lawrence Krauss, he said, We now know we're more insignificant than we ever imagined. If you get rid of everything we see, the universe is essentially the same. We constitute a 1% one bit of pollution in a universe, less than that. We are completely irrelevant. If you get rid of your life and you're an accident, well, atheism says the universe is going to go on without you. It's essentially the same. In fact, if you got rid of our whole world, it would be essentially the same. That's pretty depressing. The prominent view of the world today is that we are nothing, we came from nothing, and we're headed to nothing. So it's reasonable to conclude that nothing really matters. But the Bible tells us a story that's completely different. See, when you know who you are, you can know why you're here. In verse 26, Paul said, from one man talking about Adam, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. Perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. 
though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we exist. Paul said, if you look at the history of the world, there's a purpose to it. It didn't come from nothing. It was not an accident. It was guided by the hand of Almighty God. And from one man, Adam, God created all the nations. And not only did he determine their times and seasons, he determined their boundaries, where they would live. And I came to tell you today, if he's in charge of history, he's also in charge of your story. He's in charge of your life. And he can give purpose to your life. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him. God is a God that wants to be known. He wants you to know him. He made you, not as an accident, not on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, not as a completely irrelevant speck in the universe. He made you on purpose for a purpose. He made you and he wants to know you and he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. Because our sin had separated us from God, God made a way for us to be restored with the one who made us. And if we believe he died in our place, he's also going to live in our place. In John 17, Jesus gathered his disciples for some last words. And he prayed to his father. And this is what he said. Father, the hour has come. Come and glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And listen to this. This is eternal life. That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know eternal life is to know God. To not just know about God, but to know Him and His Son, whom He has sent. And Jesus said, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, what does that have to do with your purpose? Well, if your life begins and ends with Jesus and he tells you who you are, then your purpose has to be aligned with his purpose. Later on, Jesus would say, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Father sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him, that they would know his love. Now, how is God getting his message out in the world today? Through his sons and daughters. He is sending you, just as he sent his son, he's sending you, who've been saved by his son, with his message, with his purpose. That is an ultimate purpose. What your purpose, you believe about it, will determine the trajectory of your life. And Francis Chan said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding in things in life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding in things in life that don't really matter. What a shame would it be to get to the end of your life and to see that the purpose, the thing that you live for, was completely meaningless. When you give your life to, to Jesus, you don't have to worry about that. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. When we give our lives to him, he lives his life through us. Third question, not who am I or what am I supposed to do, but where am I going? Not a question of identification, not a question of occupation, what am I supposed to do, but a question of destination. Where am I going? Where am I going after death? To be great, you have to move from death to life. Pew Research tells us that 72% of Americans, not just Christians, believe in heaven. 58% believe in hell. But there's a new stat released this week 
100% will die. Whether you believe in heaven or hell or not, you're going to die. And knowing your destination gives you something to do. It gives you hope for tomorrow and strength for today. In verse 30, Paul said God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. The news is for everybody. Wherever you live, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, however old you are, he said the message is for everyone to repent of sin and to turn to Jesus. In verse 31, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Everybody will be judged one day on Jesus, either by his holiness or by his grace. The Bible says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible also says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Make no mistake about it, you and I one day will stand before God. Our creator, he's a holy God. We are a sinful people. And unless we've turned from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus, we won't have a leg to stand on on judgment day. And we will be headed to an eternal destination separated from God. And no matter what you accomplish in this life and all the accolades and all the things that you heap up, no matter how big your 401k is, it won't matter when you stand before God. Because our righteousness, our good stuff, the Bible says is like filthy rags. And unless we're clothed in his righteousness, then we will not enter into eternal life. I don't know about you, but I believe that. And in verse 32, when they heard Paul tell about the judgment and the resurrection from the dead, that God proved by raising Jesus from the dead, some laughed in contempt. There were some people that heard the message and rejected the message. But there were some others who said, we want to hear some more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Some people will accept the message. Some people will reject the message. But as the old preacher said, the success is in the telling. The success is in the telling. I have an obligation to tell you the truth from God's word. But you must make the decision for yourself. Your decision of destiny, your decision of Jesus, is not just about going to heaven when you die. It's a question of identity, it's a question of purpose, and it's a question of life and death. Well, back to Pete. He said, on a November night in 1982, I sat in my den staring at the television. So after all he had accomplished. Around midnight, I turned off the set and quietly slipped into bed. I pondered the impact alcohol had had on my life. You see, he struggled as an alcoholic. Not just on my life, but on my family's life. For hours, I lay awake, tortured by my memories. Then I had a revelation. I saw all my sin. Then I heard a voice. Be strong. Lift thine own heart. Those words were delivered as loud as thunder. Having experienced this moment, I prayed for salvation. Pete said, with tears in my eyes, I said, Jesus, I know you're real because I've tried everything else. When I took God into my heart, he said it was the first true happiness I ever had. 
I am saved by the grace of God, by Jesus Christ. I won every trophy and award in life, and I always wanted more. Jesus Christ was placed on the cross to save us. The thing about Christianity, it's your choice. You cannot work it or earn it, and I understand that now. All of the awards pale compared to the glory of God and what the Lord Jesus has done in my life. Pete said I wouldn't trade my position in Christ for a thousand Hall of Fame rings or a hundred million dollars. There is nothing like the joy of Jesus in my life. That was right before he passed. You see, Pete had a congenital heart defect. It was undetected. It was a miracle he lived as long as he, he did. He died at age 40 playing pickup basketball at a church in California, Pasadena, 1988. But Pete, I know, is with the Lord today, not because of his rings, not because of his records, not because of his accomplishments, not because of his struggles with alcoholism or his emptiness or his family dysfunction. He's with, with God in heaven because he accepted Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And the Bible says that if Jesus has not been raised, we're still dead in our sins. If Jesus is not alive today, let me make it clear. If he's not alive, nothing matters. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.